everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, Episode 6, Media Management for Linux. Today we're going to take a look at some of the best ways to manage your music and movies and photos and whatever you might have on your Linux machine. As we talk about living with Linux, this everyday Linux uh, concept that we're talking about, uh, that's a big part of most people's lives. They have uh, uh, their their movies that they want to watch, their their home movies that they've taken. They have uh, music that they want to listen to through uh, whatever of uh, the many new features uh, that, that are out there. And so we're going to talk about some of the best ways to do that. Uh, often in the past, that's been one of the knocks on Linux, is that it doesn't uh, do media well, but uh, I'm here to say that hasn't been true for a while, even though it uh, seems to be a popular belief. So we're going to talk about uh, some of those sort of things. And before we get started, I'll introduce our guests, starting with Mr. Chris Neves, known as Slipped in our chat room. Say hello, Chris. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Seth Anderson, known as Seth in the chat room. Say hello, Seth. Hey, everyone. And Mr. Aaron Butler, known as Former Fat Guy in the chat room. Say hello, Aaron. Good afternoon. And just a quick uh, programming note, uh, Mr. Former Fat Guy is going to be having a, uh, a podcast on our Element OP network uh, coming up in the near future. Uh, we're in development with that right now, and he's going to talk about uh, some tips and techniques and some ideas for healthy living. And so we're, we're looking forward to hearing about uh, how fat guys can go to and become former fat guys. Well, as of this morning, I broke the 130 pounds lost mark. Awesome. Wow. That's great. Good work. And in, in what, like a year and a half? Not quite a year. Not even a year. Wow. That so is if, awesome. If you're a fat geek, and there are lots of us out there, and I will raise my hand as one of them. Uh, then, lots of us in this podcast. <laughs> then uh, this show might be for you. So you can find out how uh, a geek like Aaron, who sits at a desk behind a keyboard all day like most of us, uh, found a way to change his life and, and lose 130 pounds and counting. Uh, but... Now I'll, I'll move on to the topic of the show. Uh, I want to talk about some of the reasons that you might uh, want to um, use Linux for media management and my personal experience with it. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it before on our Taiwan Tech podcast um, that I set out on this quest about a year ago to create the, uh, the perfect home theater PC. And uh, uh, Linux is a, a good base for that in some cases. It also has some some drawbacks, and, and we'll talk about those too. But why why might you want your own home theater PC? And for me, I have young kids running around. The youngest is two. The oldest is eight. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I started this a couple of years ago when they were uh, all little babies. Um, the idea started for me like the fifth or sixth time one of my favorite CDs got broken, mangled, scratched, or lost uh, because – you know, you have your DVDs there in the living room in a nice cabinet that it happens to be just the perfect height for a toddler to walk by and go, ooh, pretty things. Um, and, you know, no matter how much you might want to uh, uh, discourage that sort of behavior, it's going to happen. And then even when they get older and, and they start, uh, my kids have little uh, portable DVD players, best thing we ever bought for long car trips, by the way throw them in the back of the minivan with their little DVD players and they leave us alone. Um uh, they their own DVDs get lost or get stolen or get broken or get various sticky substances spilled on them. So my impetus for doing this was to digitize. That sounds weird. Digitize my DVDs. They're already digital. The D in DVD stands for digital. So to 
re-digitize my DVDs and put them on a hard drive somewhere or a couple of hard drives, ideally, so that I have backups and be able to access them uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, and other reasons you might want to do it is, you know, you want to be able to, uh, uh, look at your stuff from wherever you are, right? You could, uh, once you've ripped your movies, then you can access them on your portable devices and, and things like that. Guys, either any of you have any experience with that or any desire to do that? Working on it currently. <laughs> okay. And what was your reason for it? Same as yours. Um, I have a two-year-old and had a two-year-old eight years ago who uh, decided that it'd be fun to see if they would fly the, the DVDs and CDs. And I don't know how many CDs I, or how many DVDs that have gone out my window as we drive down the street with it, the little DVD player that you're talking about. Oh, that's Because the two-year-old decides to throw it out the window. <laughs> oh, wow. And of course, we have, yeah. when you have kids, there's a good chance you're going to have animals. And I've had dogs chew my DVDs and, and ruin them in that way. Uh, but other than just DVDs, I have uh, a very large uh, CD collection. I have thousands of songs, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, as part of our warm up. You know, we've, uh, in the last uh, couple of uh, weeks, uh, as of the recording of the show, we've had uh, three major new. Um, online media resources uh, appear. We've got Amazon Music with their cloud music service. We've got uh, um, Google Music with their cloud music service. And now Apple just recently uh, uh, introduced their iCloud music service. You guys have any comments on any of those? Uh, well, I have the Amazon. I'm using the Amazon one. Um, it works pretty slick. The only thing I don't like is that I have to re-upload all the music that I've bought from Amazon into their cloud player right. uh, in order for me to get to it. Uh, it'd be nice it, since they do have record of all my stuff that I've purchased from them because I've, I've purchased all my digital music from Amazon for the last couple of years now. So for me to re-upload at my, you know, out in the sticks, horrible upload speed land that I live in um, would take years, I think. Hmm. Uh, so, I, I'm using the Google mu Music service, so between the two of us, we I, I'm, I'm going to say it's probably a pretty safe assumption that none of us are using the iTunes cloud, especially since it's brand new and, and the fact that none of us are big i users. Uh, but I use the Google Music service, and there's a, a little download thing you put on your machine, and um, it took me, I've got a, you know, in an urban-ish area, I've got a fairly good connection, and it still took uh, eight or nine days for everything to upload. It's not like it's painful. You just leave the machine on for a while, and it does it. And then uh, what's cool about that is anytime I add anything or sync anything, it gets synced up to the cloud. So uh, that's a cool way to do things. Now I can listen to it on, on the um, portable communication device of which I am not allowed to speak um, my phone that I carry with me. Uh, actually, this is a that's different only, show. I can talk yeah. about it on this show, right? <laughs> yeah, this show is okay. Only Droids are good here. <laughs> on my on my Nexus One, uh, it's it's been really great for that. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, I uh, Apple's iCloud. I forget what they call. It. I think that's it, right? iCloud. Um, whereas they're just certifying all the music that you have and putting it in there. So it's it's sort of like a piracy legitimization fee. Um, you pay them 25 bucks a year and all the stuff you downloaded from Napster, now you have legal copies of it because they put it in their, uh, the, your iTunes library. Sounds wow. like it. Uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's sort of 
tangentially in the vein of what we've been talking about, uh, also a little current events. But so we'll move on to uh, talking about uh, building a uh, doing media management. And, and I'm not going to talk about necessarily from the standpoint of building a home uh, media uh, PC, but that's where my experience comes from. And uh, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is Boxy. Uh, Boxy is built to be a home theater software, but it's also a really good media management just on your desktop or laptop, even if you have no intention of doing um, uh, uh, a home theater PC. Have any of you guys used Boxy? I've played with I it. I have not. I've never actually used it, but... No? Aaron, how about you? I've played with it a little bit myself. Okay. But, so uh, I, mean, I haven't got anything up and running yet, so that's I've always been the... Uh, the physical limitations of getting the box connected to the television and getting it in a place and having an extra machine, those are the things that have limited me in the past. Right. Well, that's from a home theater envi- uh, uh, thing. So let's say you just want to take your laptop with you. If you travel a lot, you want to have all your stuff at your at a hotel, you can uh, you still use Boxy for that. I use it as my media management on, on Windows and on Linux, just sort of on my machines in general. And, uh, it's got an excellent video, uh, player, and it's one that, uh, that we've talked about, uh, in uh, the Taiwa Tech podcast often is VLC Media Player. That's the back end of it. And VLC will play pretty much anything you throw at it. It doesn't really care much about formats, uh, and it's, uh, it's really good for that. And so it'll play DVDs, uh, uh, built into the boxy software. You've got, uh, uh, YouTube, uh, uh, apps built in. You've got a, uh, well, they had to take the Hulu app out, but it still works kind of. Uh, but you can go to like CBS or ABC or they got Voodoo, which is, uh, sort of this new, uh, online rental service. That's all built right in. So you've got this entire huge library of stuff, including, uh, they have a, a big library of, of, uh, copyright free stuff things that are that are too old or or uh, have been released uh, uh with no copyright and so there are hundreds of thousands of television shows and even old radio shows and old movies available in their library without you doing anything uh, you know other than streaming them over the internet of course um um, the, uh, the UI is, uh, uh, particularly, it's got a Netflix app. I wanted to mention that, uh, cause we're big, uh, fans of, of Netflix around here. Um, the UI for, for Netflix is a little odd. It, uh, um, it relies heavily on search. You, the things aren't as exposed as they are like on the Netflix website or also, uh, you might use Netflix on your Wii or your Xbox. Um, the the things that it displays like your current queue or the things that it might suggest like the the documentary category um like on my Wii might have 50 movies in it on the boxy app might have 5 and so you got to rely on that it doesn't expose things to you it, it, serendipity is doesn't play as big a part uh but it's all there if you search for it is um, the the Netflix app is that available in the Linux version as well, Foxy, or is that yes. only Windows? Uh, well, no, it's only on Windows. Um, I forgot about that because it's it relies on Silverlight, and while there is a Blech. Moonlight project, it's not quite good enough. Um, yeah, so I forgot about that. Uh, Netflix is only available on the Windows side of it. Mark? Yes? Uh, Security Bytes in the chat room says that he downloaded Boxy last week, and there is a app for the Android for it. Yes, it's pretty cool. It's a remote app. It just gives you uh, a direction pad up, down, left, right, and like a yes, no click. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to use your TV remote. Uh, you can use your uh, uh, iPhone. But, uh, you know, if you're working with uh, uh, a laptop in front of you, that becomes sort of a non-issue anyway. Uh, but, yeah, could that's you a, use your Could you use your Nexus 1 Absolutely. do that? Absolutely. Okay. 
Um, who has a Nexus One? Do you know somebody who has a Nexus uh, One? <laughs> I've heard rumors. <laughs> My wife has a Nexus One. <laughs> so anyway, um, and on the Linux side, they have a tor- torrent version, which is uh, a torrent client built in, uh, which is pretty cool. You can, if you, you know, don't have any moral compunction. Um, you can just punt this in and say, I want every episode of Stargate ever published. And it'll go out there and scour the internet. And as soon as new ones are available, it'll download them for you. So it's really good for, uh, uh, building your illegal download uh, library. Honestly, I haven't found any legitimate use for it at all, but, uh, uh, that's, that's going to be a big feature for some people. So I'll, I'll mention it. Well, when your DVD drive in your computer is broke and you still want to upload your existing DVD collections, you can get the torrent form, and it would be illegal then because you want the DVD. Okay, um, sure. <laughs> that's a little gray area, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not. That's uh, sure, sure. Um, that that may be one of those letter of the law versus spirit of the law things. I, I will say I one. Have any problem with that? I will say one knock about uh, uh, Boxy is the audio. They focused really on the video and the and the movies part of it and the television. Uh, the audio is kind of uh, lame. Uh, one of the the things that annoys me most about it is that there's no like party shuffle. There's no uh, shuffling through your entire library. All you can do is play one album. So you pick uh, Barlow Girl, yeah. another journal entry, and it'll play that, and it'll shuffle those songs on that album. Uh, but that's it. You can't shuffle between all your albums. And there's no uh, support for playlists. You can't build a playlist in it. It does, however, read other playlists. So if you use like Winamp on, on another machine and build a playlist, you can import that into Boxy and then it'll, re- it'll recognize it and you can shuffle through things that way. Uh, so there's, there are some, some, you know, workarounds, but that's a bit of a knock on it from the beginning. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't handle audio well. I, I don't know if they're uh, focused on that at all. Uh, it does have some of the best visualizations I've ever seen. So if you got it on, like I do, on my um, you know forty-inch LCD high-def TV in the living room, listening to music, those uh, those really cool waves and, and lines and patterns and things that go around uh, are really neat and high-def. Uh, but otherwise, it's kind of a one-trick pony. There has a does pan- it play? Go ahead. Does it play VLC playlists? Um, not that I know of. I think it's PLS or M3U is the only playlist that it supports. Uh, Mark, I have a question from the geek side of this. Uh, mm-hmm. What for? How? How? Uh, the Boxy does it use a database uh, to keep your DVD lists? And all that kind of stuff, or is it like an XML file? How does that work? It's an internal, uh, I think, a SQLite database. It's a it's a so, internal database. So could it be something that you could, if you were so inclined, which I would be inclined to do something like this, um, dig in there, find out how the playlists are, go back, pull out a list of all your songs out of the MySQL database, build a playlist using some kind of, you know, transact SQL uh, query analyzer or whatever, and then insert that into the playlist table wherever it keeps playlists that you import. I, I think you, something like that? you could do that. I think it'd be a lot easier to just build your playlist in iTunes or something else and then import that and then it will recognize it. Um, yeah, that would be near as much fun. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be able <laughs> well, to I, grab I, SQL files. I also don't files. think they allow you to get 
do the database natively. I mean, you'd have to go. Right, you'd have you to know, use side. something, some other uh, app that does it. Yeah, Boxy doesn't expose that to you directly. So it, it doesn't like install a, a MySQL database on your desktop with, with uh, or on the desktop with a MySQL service like running in the background as if you were running a regular SQL server or something like that. No, no, it's just a SQL-like database. It's all obfuscated. Right. Um, it has a Pandora app that's uh, kind of cool, so you can uh, do that. It's got lots and lots of apps for specialized content. There are hundreds of them out there. If you're so inclined, there are porn apps uh, that will stream porn straight to your computer. There's There are independent film apps. There's uh, uh, lots of different podcast networks have apps. In fact, I'm looking at building one for our Element OP network that would exp- that would list all of our shows and, and all of the episodes on it, I think would be pretty cool. Uh, and they do make that uh, pretty easy to build those apps. And so because it's easy to build it and because boxy is becoming uh more popular uh with they have a hardware a boxy box device that you can go to you know best buy and buy for a couple hundred bucks um uh they're they're inexpensive and and uh so it's a growing market out there so because of that the apps are growing at a regular base so if you decide to use this as your media management uh whether a home theater pc or just on your own personal dorm room laptop you're going to have a a lot more content uh being made available as time goes on uh, it does have a web browser uh, for that whole web TV experience. Um, my only comment on that is just say no. Uh, it's 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 kind of dumb to browse the web when you have a you know it boxes on a computer, right? So you have a web browser there. Just use that. And if you're doing it on your television, stop trying to browse the web on your TV. It's a bad idea. <laughs> I don't know Microsoft. What was it? Web TV back in the '90s, back when everybody was still on dial-up. They tried it, and everybody keeps trying to. Uh, uh, Google TV has tried to do. Everybody keeps trying to bring the web to the TV, and it just it's just not a good idea, in my opinion. I don't I don't want to read a blog on my television. Well, the, well, the problem with that is then you can't watch TV and have your and laptop and be browsing in there at the same time. Right. Unless you have in-screen picture in picture, you know, which I do it all the time. Watch a movie and, and be on the web at the same time on my laptop doing something at work or whatever. Yeah. You guys... I'm I'm curious. Is that a, a common thing for geeks out there? I do that too. I'm I'm in the living room. My wife is on the other side of the couch. My kids are are playing in the floor. We're watching television, and I've got my laptop there, and I'm I'm browsing the web or in the uh, uh, you know uh, Element OP chat room. Uh, do you guys do that same sort of thing? Once in a while, I yeah. will. Um, it's it's pretty rare that I have both the laptop and the TV running because I don't watch much TV. I find myself like I'll go to the Internet Movie Database and when I see an actor or an actress in the show and then from there I'll jump off on the web. But usually like IMDB is my reason for initializing the dual session. Okay, well, um, and let's mention that uh, that's where Boxy gets all of its information about a movie. So when you import a movie uh, DVD into its library, it pulls the album art and the description from IMDB. So uh, that huh. by uh, there are very few films I've found that it couldn't find information on because of that. Any other comments on that? Well, I have a question, Mark. If I had, say, all of my audio and video stuff like on a portable hard drive, is there like a file that like if I had Boxy on my desktop computer and then on my laptop computer that I could synchronize between the two of them? If the data is shared, 
I mean, like, you're talking about a portable laptop. You're moving from one to the other. Well, or, you know, like I just, I have like a 500 gig hard drive and let's say I rip a couple of movies or whatever on that. If I'm at home, I plug it into my home computer with a big monitor. If I'm gone somewhere, I plug it into my laptop. Is there some, is there some file, whether it be a preferences file or something that you know, they can both read to get the same information. Yes, you can do that. Uh, but the way I do it is I just let Boxy index both of them. It, it's a very quick process. Um, and so it just rebuilds the data. And if I add a movie, they both recognize that there's a new thing and, and add it to it. So I don't, I don't it's, do that. Okay. I say the last time I was playing with it, it, it indexed my terabyte hard drive that I store stuff on. In seconds, I was actually really shocked at how fast it did it. So I think the, it was doing the it ripping process. Though, too. I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh, like I said, I think it did it incrementally. It did like a quick once over for file name scraping, and then I think after it does that, it starts pulling, and then it only dis- it only actually indexes like to the web for for like movies information. I think it only does that, you know, on the fly, not constantly. Well, you can set it. You can set it to how often you want to do it. You can have a check hourly, daily, or I use one called monitored, and basically it's constantly reading that hard drive and any changes it, it does. And I haven't noticed. So, so, what, so what I'm understanding on this then is if I rip a movie, it, I'm just ripping it in any standard process. Right. Um, and then Boxy is only looking at a catalog of movies regardless of maybe even the directories or subdirectories or drives that they're across. Right. Right. So it's not it's not importing it into Boxy in any way so that it's tied to Boxy. Otherwise, you might have to rip it five times. You don't want to have to do that, obviously. Well, I mean, you can. If, no, I mean, you know, you rip it one time and then you put the file. If you want them to live in five different places, you can copy it to five different places. Right. The, the way I do it is uh, with a tool called Pogo Plug. Uh, it's a hardware device that you buy, uh, and basically it, it's like your own box, uh, own own Dropbox. Uh, you plug in up to four USB devices on it, and it shares those out on the web, and you can get a client on your phone or your iPad or, or your Android, whatever you've got, um, and it exposes, makes all those things visible. So I've got my pogo plug um, tucked away in the living room, plugged into my uh, internet connection, and then I've got um, uh, Boxy looking at pogo plug, and then on my personal laptop when I rip a movie, I po- copy it to the pogo plug, or if I'm out somewhere, I've got Boxy on my laptop, I point it back over the internet at the pogo plug, and, and that's the way I do it. Um, and that's a, that's a handy, it's a wonderful little device. Uh, it's got some bugs, uh, but it, it's pretty darn good and doesn't cost a lot. Is that a, that's a, a hardware appliance? Yes. And there is an open source project, Pogo Plug with ED, Pogo Plug ED, where you can build your own Pogo Plug and use their software if you want to do it that way. Uh, so if you're really geeky, you can build your own Pogo Plug without buying their hardware device. Um, but so which, which brings me to a question mark that I was thinking of earlier. What, how, how many sentence fragments can one man say? Just one. If more. I were to, if I were to build a box, um, or find an old box laying around, you know, we talk about all the time on this show, Linux will run on just about any hardware specs. What do I need hardware spec wise to run boxy in a Linux environment to be happy with my performance watching a streamed movie? Um, the, the, thing that you care about there is hardware acceleration in the video 
Okay. I run mine on a, um, uh, Acer Revo, uh, net top is what they call it. Basically, it's a netbook in a desktop format. It cost me, uh, $219 at Best Buy. It's got a tiny little one gigahertz Atom processor. But it's got a really uh, uh, beefy, uh, the new Atom uh, Ion processor, uh, video processor set. So it's got hardware acceleration built right into the video. Um, where you have pro- uh, uh, performance issues is when you have your processor trying to do uh, uh, ripping of the movies. But if you get a chipset that's got the hardware acceleration built right in and a software that supports it, um, then the processor does nothing. I've got a very tiny little processor in my box. Um, so that's the key there. You need a good video card or you need enough processor to be able to do it. So I would say if you don't have a hardware accelerator, video card you probably need um a two gigahertz processor or better uh to be able to do it smoothly uh but uh yeah that's about all there is to that anything i mean if it'll play a video if it'll if you can pull up uh on windows side windows movie maker or in on the linux side vlc if it'll play in that it'll play in boxy because that's all boxy is it's just a, a hook to VLC right. media player. Now, my friend Josh was on in the chat room earlier. I don't know if he was able to stay around for the second show because he has used Boxy at home, I believe. And he's got it running on an old Dell GX270, uh, 270, 280. And he downloaded, I think, just the Boxy install that, you know, you can get it. You can get Boxy for Windows or Boxy right. for Linux or you can just get Boxy, which I think is really the Linux version. Maybe I'm mixing it up, but. I think that he he was using that at home. He was pretty happy with it. His biggest problem was, again, the physical didn't have a good internet connection, didn't have an internet connection available at his television, so he was doing it wirelessly as far as streaming stuff over to it off the net if he wanted to run Netflix or whatever. And um, I guess for that, if he was running Netflix, it'd have to be the Windows version. Right. Um, and so, but his, so I guess that answered my own question now that I thought about it. If he ran it on a GX280 with a video card he stuck in there, it must not take too awfully much. No. Um, yeah, I mine, uh, the little, the little processor, the little box I have is smaller than a Wii. I've got a Wii sitting right beside it and it's actually smaller. Um, and it's silent, it's fanless and it uses something like four watts of power. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a perfect little device for this. Uh, and so, and I, so I've got it hooked up to my 1080p and, and it does native upsampling. So even if I rip something that's just a regular DVD, it upsamples it to 1080p and it looks really good, um, on my television. So, uh, yeah, those so, Atom processes are pretty cool. They really are. So I'm going to, uh, since we talked about that, let's, uh, let's move straight to the part where we talk about how we're going to get a DVD up there, um, uh, to a boxy or to anything else. Uh, and, um, my favorite tool for that is Handbrake, uh, for, uh, in both Linux or Windows. It'll take pretty much anything you throw at it and convert it to an MP4 file that works on, um, it's designed for mobile devices, like if you want to put something on your iPhone. Uh, but I find that format works really well on my home theater too. So I uh, rip everything to an MP4 file. Um, on Linux, if you have, uh, the LibC, Lib, CSS DVD installed. Basically, if you've downloaded VLC, it comes with it. It will rip movies. It'll, it'll break the encoding on them and rip a commercial, uh, DVD straight without any hassle at all. Now, again, I'm not advocating, um, doing anything illegal, but my, my view is I bought the machine. I bought the DVD. I should be able to put one in the other and play it. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, that's the way I do it. I rip, as soon as I get a movie, I rip it. Like the day, like the moment the, the cellophane comes off, I put it right in my laptop and rip it using handbrake. And if you're on Windows and you don't have an option uh, to do that, there's a, 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 a program called DVD Fab that will, uh, so far I haven't found anything that it couldn't break. So it breaks it and throws it into a DVD file, and then I feed that into Handbrake, and then it uh, converts it to a, a movie file. So that's my See, process for anything. The, I was going to say, to continue on that Handbrake con idea, DVD Fab is a good tool, um, but I personally like Handbrake a lot better than I'd ever did for DVD Fab. Yeah. Um, and if you get a, a program from Slysoft, they actually will do the sidestepping for the encryption and will do Blu-rays as well. And then you can use Handbrake to then rip it. Is that on Linux or on Windows? That's the Windows side. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm not aware of anything that can even read a Blu-ray DVD in Linux. I think that's still a black art to them. Nobody's broken that encryption yet on the Linux side that I know of. Well, while we're talking about encryption, um, is there something in Linux that would allow me to easily convert my iTunes uh, proprietary songs to MP3? Uh, yes. Uh, let me think of what it is. Because it, I've looked around in Windows and everything is FFmpeg. So FFmpeg. Pad. Peg. FFmpeg. Okay. Uh, it's designed for movies, but it handles those formats really well because the the AAC codec that Windows uses is also used commonly on DVDs. So anything can rip a DVD can probably do that for you too. But FFmpeg can do a batch process. It's not as far as I know, it's command line. I don't think there's a GUI version, but you can come point it at an entire folder and say convert everything in here to this format. Great. Because um, that would be part of my process do. on this. Because I'm assuming that Boxy won't play, or maybe it will play. Will Boxy play the iTunes AAA? Uh, well, the newer NCO? un the newer unencrypted ones, yes, but the older encrypted ones, no. Okay. What was it? Uh, right at a year ago, Apple stopped doing encryption on their uh, iTunes files. Something like yeah, that. And I haven't bought it's one from like them that. in that time. <laughs> so all of yours are encrypted. So everything I have is encrypted. Or else it was an MP3 that I already, I mean, uh, a DVD that I, CD that I already own that I just ripped straight to MP3. Yeah. So See, my process for that has always been what you just said. As soon as I buy an album from iTunes, I burn it to CD and re-rip it. I've done that. That's just sort of become my process. Uh, and so that way I still have the CD around if I want it, but then I rip it and I have it on my uh, various formats. It takes a little time, but it's just something I've gotten into a habit of doing. I don't buy a lot of music from iTunes for that reason, but every time I do, the first thing I do is burn it to a CD and then re-rip it. And that's why I don't buy from iTunes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, having said that, so now you've got your uh, your video ripped and into Boxy for management. How, how do you do uh, audio? And my personal preference is an audio uh, thing called Rhythmbox that uh, was built into Ubuntu up until recently, up until 11.04. Um, it was their default. It's an iTunes-ish interface. If you're familiar with iTunes, you're going to be familiar with that. Um, it handles... 
pretty much every format known to man, um, including video. Uh, it'll play um, play just about anything. You can do playlists and and shuffle through. It's got all the features that you might want, including it'll read, it'll recognize an iPod on Linux. So you plug it in there, and I uh, uh, Rhythmbox will recognize it and uh, uh, just go from there. Uh, and so it's it's the tool that I like to use to manage my audio. So Boxy for video, because as I said, its audio management isn't great. I use Rhythmbox for audio. And uh, the one that uh, Ubuntu is now putting uh, in their thing is Banshee. And I'm going to let Chris talk about that because I know he's a big fan of it. Yeah, Banshee's my tool for the, the job there because it handles audio like a champ. Um, it'll re rename them if you want them to. It'll index them accordingly to however you want. It has an Amazon um, MP3 store built into it. So if you wanted to buy your music from Amazon, you can just click the Amazon MP3 store and buy it right there. It automatically comes down through the Banshee client, um, and they do have a little referral thing then if you buy the, your MP3s through Amazon to the store that they have. So they get a little bit of a, a, a kickback from Amazon that way. Um, it also has a built-in RSS reader for Miro. So if you wanted Miro to for your audio needs, it, it'll go right through there. Uh, Banshee also has a, I would say, it's a second citizen for video, but it will also handle some video information. Also, the uh, there is a Last.fm client, uh, also stuff like that. So if you wanted to stream music from uh, Last.fm or some of the online radio systems, they, it handles them as well. Uh, but as far as I, I, as far as I'm concerned, if it comes to audio, Banshee is the tool for the, t- for the job. It also has this, uh, a neat playlist option. I don't know if Rhythmbox does, but a smart playlist. Mark, does Rhythmbox do that? Yes. It will dynamically create things that it, that you listen to often or you can vote them up and down, so to speak, and, and it'll, uh, you know, it's like favoriting them and things that you favorited more often, it'll create for you. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, something like that. Uh, the one that Banshee does, it not only will it go off of what you, you know, what your, you know, if it, if it's a three-star song, it'll only show up so on, whatever, um, but it'll also do similar type of music. So, like, if, if I'm listening to Dropkick Murphys, um, it may throw in some other punk music as well. Cool. Um, if you're listening uh, live in, in the chat room, I've just posted a link to uh, the actual device that I'm using, the Aspire Revo 1600 uh, NetTop yep. PC. Um, Apparently, it's not available anymore as far as direct purchase, at least from Amazon. Right. But, um, yeah, it's been replaced is- by a different model now. There is a, uh, there is one for here for two hundred bucks on eBay. If anybody's interested, I'll yeah. pick it up for you if you want to send me, make your check payable to Aaron. Uh, in just kidding, but, but it, yeah, uh, there it's been the I had the sixteen hundred. It's been replaced by, I think it's a th- the the thirty seven hundred something. There's like a fourteen oh two. Okay. Thirty seven hundred. Yeah. Okay. Now uh, all of the atoms are dual processors, so they probably replaced it with a similar model. It's just a dual or a dual core processor. I mean, right. 
And I will mention, if you buy from Amazon.com, please do it by visiting our website, elementop.com slash Amazon, and uh, we'll get a little bit of a referral fee when you do that. So um, make that change in your bookmarks. When you think Amazon, think elementop.com slash Amazon. Everything else is exactly the same. doesn't cost you any more. We just get a little bit of money off of the deal. So there's my end of my commercial there. So, guys, I have... Go ahead. I have to share this real quick while I'm while I was just looking for for that device. There's a Zotac version on here, and it says uh, Zotac ZBox Intel Atom 330 1.6 uh, gigahertz dual core all in one mini PC with no memory, no hard drive, and no OS. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, just, I understand that idea of Bearbox just seemed kind of funny to to find that. Uh, it ought to be a bargain then. What is it? Ninety five dollars? One eighty nine actually. Wow, that's too much. Brand new Toyota, no seats, no engine, no <laughs> no steering wheel, but the tires are great. <laughs> so uh, anybody else have any comments or questions about uh, media management uh, in the Linux world? Uh, anything I've left out that you like to do or, or anything uh, that way? Chris, what do you do for uh, videos in, in Linux? I know that you're an everyday Linux user. Well, for videos, um, usually I just use the Banshee to keep track of everything. And when I want to play a video, I, I just open it up with VLC. Um, but we forgot one thing when it comes to media management, Mark, and that is the RSS or podcasting or podcatching. And for me, my podcast program, while Banshee would do it for all my audio stuff and it's not so hot with the video, but Miro is king there. Okay. I don't do a lot of podcasting on desktop. That's why that slipped my mind. That's a mobile device thing to me. I do it on my phone uh, and not on my desktop. But Miro, M-I-R-R-O? M-I-R-O. M-I-R-O. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, a free open source music and video player. So why is it not your everyday music player? Why is it only for uh, video well, it's it, I mean, Miro is not for playing video or anything. Miro is for catching podcasts, so it's like an it's an aggregator for. Um, let me pull it up here. I'm going to grab it off their website. Um, it, I, I suppose it probably could play stuff for video and, and audio. You know, like if you have it on your computer, but I use it for catching podcasts. So, like my for when I'm watching Twid or Rev Three stuff. Um, it just makes things nice and simple for me to get. Uh, and it indexes everything and kills them when after I've watched them. And it, it just, for me, since I don't have Mr. Smartphone like you do, Mark, um, my laptop is my, was with me everywhere. So oh, I need something to catch those pod when they release them. Right. So I use Miro for everything. Also, there's a, uh, I'm looking at the website now, there's a Miro video converter uh, that uh, apparently will do what we use, what we recommended Handbrake for. Oh, that's new. That must be just in this latest version then. Uh, and it looks like, again, I'm not familiar with the thing at all, but it looks like they're trying to become an all-out media player and not just uh, a pod catcher. Uh says it manages your music and video effortlessly. Huh, that's that's new, because I've been using Miro since back when it was version 2, and I've never been back to the website since, so this is all 
all new and interesting to me now. I'm going to have to revisit their website. Yeah, actually, as I'm going through it, it looks like something I want to check out now, too. It looks pretty cool. Okay, so any other well, comments there? All right, Seth? Well, I have a question. Since we're the target audience for this podcast is probably somebody who uses Windows and has an iPod or an iPhone, um, what is, is iTunes like a cuss word in, in Linux or is there not, you know, do people just not use it or anything it, or can you run it on Linux? There isn't a Linux iTunes client. You can run it in wine, sort of not really well. Um, and let's face it, iTunes, even when it works, isn't very good. Um, uh, I definitely agree with that, but I was just, you know, because everybody's going to say, wow, you know, I use iTunes to catch my podcast. I use iTunes to listen to my media player. Why can't I just use that? And so, uh, we couldn't go a whole show about media management and not, you know, address that. Right, which which is why I like Rhythm Box because it was designed to be an iTunes clone, and in, in most every way it is, it'll do uh, pretty much everything iTunes will do, including syncing to an iDevice. It'll down, it'll manage your podcast and 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 uh, manage your audio and and do pretty much everything that iTunes does. Uh, and, and the difference is it works. Ah. Well, like I use the same um, way. iTunes, by the way. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. you He said Banshee Uh, is the same way. Okay, I was going to say Banshee Um, will do it too. So, well, I use in iTunes. um, You know, I I got an iPhone through work, and I use um, the iTunes University, which is is, I almost made that my uh, tip of the week, but. Is there, can you like with Rhythm, Rhythm Box or Banshee or Handbrake, can you, I mean, they're just URLs that iTunes catches. Is, can you manage an iTunes University thing through any of these? Sure. Or? In any RSS feed, they're going to handle it without any trouble at all. Okay. Cool. Well, that, if any, so anyone out there who is a very iTunes savvy and uses it, you don't have to like, I don't have iTunes. I can't use Linux. There are plenty of good options out here that you will find work better than iTunes on a Windows machine. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Uh, is there, I believe, Chris, there's a Banshee for Windows, right? Um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's the best player, though. Um, let me see if I can find it really quick. But uh, the last time I tried it, in my in a virtual box it worked but it was you had to install a bunch of other stuff on top of it um, according to their website the windows version is considered alpha ah so yeah. i don't know if if that would be something you'd want to even try but they do have on their website which is banshee.fm um, a guide on how to install it into windows Okay. All right. Anything else before we move on to the, our tips of the week, guys? Oh, I think I'm about out. Well, uh, Security Bytes put in the chat room, there is no university in Linus. Is that like there's <laughs> there's no I think you bet R in team? or <laughs> What does that mean? Does anybody know what that means? I guess he's saying there's no iTunes U for Linux. Oh, okay. But if you pull the RSS feeds off of those, that uh, university iTunes stuff, anything could catch it if you know what 
the RSS is behind right. it. You're not going to have the the same search capabilities, I'm guessing. But yeah, once you can expose what the URL is, uh, you can feed that into anything. So if there is a a particular series of something you want to listen to, uh, the the RSS feed for that should be universal. I'd also okay. like to point out quickly that for the second show in a row, I have brought a listener with me. So I, I had something to contribute other than just being the newbie. You've increased our audience threefold. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> By bringing two audience members. Uh, this guy here, the, C- the CGO1 that's in the chat room, uh, used to be a young guy in my youth group. He is now a, a security, uh, IT security uh, guru guy. Not not the kind where they know how to watch antivirus, um, that kind of guy, but the actual real deal. Um and he's working for a pretty uh, pretty high-end security firm that does all kinds of interesting stuff. So maybe we – and he also has a big Linux fan, apparently. Maybe we could pull him in on a show sometime or something like that in the future. It would be kind of exciting to, to do that. Sure. Exciting for you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it would be exciting for all of us. So uh, he, he would be an actual pen tester then. A penetration probably. tester or something like that. Yes. I know he actually did some of that in college. They actually they won a competition one time, if I remember right. Chris, back me up if I'm wrong here, since you're listening. Uh, they had a did one of those eight hour competitions where they had four teams and set up in a gym, and they, they were all trying to break into each other's boxes and one of those kind of things, or one, they were trying to defend the the castle type thing. But anyway, that's that's off the subject. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll make sure I'll bring. Uh, I'll try to bring a new guest every time I'm on the show. There you go. Interesting side note. Um, that's part of how I got the job I have now. My wife worked at this school. I was up visiting her one day while she was working in her room. I sat down at her computer and began to explore the network and see what I could get into. And I went to the superintendent and said, "This is these are the things that I found. Um, and here's some ways that you could uh, lock that down. Like for example, I had." access to the entire financial data uh, for the school uh, with within like five seconds. It was not any second grader could have done that. Um, and so I started contracting with them at the time I had my own business. And so eventually they just hired me and I've been here 15 years now almost. But anyway, so yeah, hacking can lead to job opportunities. It can also lead to jail. <laughs> so it just depends on how you do it. Also lead to black lung. Thank you. Okay. And uh, so, Chris, tell us what is your uh, command line tip of the week? Well, I touched on it last time with uh, with the uh, my paired command lines that I, I, you pretty much need to know if you're going to be in Linux in any, for any length of time. And that's chmod and chown. Um, these two programs, when you're running them in the command line, they can change the access rights that people – that a, file would have. So normally you would have uh, the owner of a file like let me grab one real quick these files are usually owned by the user that created them and in most Linux distributions it's also the, the group is by the username if let's say you're doing this on a network share you need to be able to change those permissions so that other people can use it um, or if you copied files around um, from one side of your stuff to the other, then yeah, you need to be able to change the owner and the uh, mode of these in order to be for other people to read them or write to them or delete them for that matter. Um, 
You can learn more from the Wikipedia article uh, under wi- uh, Wikipedia slash wiki slash c- uh, chmod or chown. They list out the command lines and, and the switches and what they do. Uh, definitely take a look at them. You need them if you're going to be in Linux. And just strike chmod777 from your memory. Pretend you never it's- knew that happened. If for for don't even think seven seven seven. That's a scary, <laughs> scary thing. A story I've told before uh, in various environments, but certainly not on this show. Uh, several years ago, I was setting up a Moodle at the at the school, and I, I had the server set up, and I was I was just testing it. And it's a very common thing to do. Windows guys do it too. You just set default all the permissions to open for testing purposes. That way, you you eliminate variables, right? So you know file permissions aren't an issue. So I'm in in the middle of this. I get a call from my then very pregnant wife saying, I'm on my way to the hospital to have the baby. Come now. So I jump up and run out the door, and I come back two weeks later after having spent time home with the baby, and that server was owned by some kid in Pakistan. It was no longer my server because I had left it open and left it connected to the Internet and walked away. Uh, so I uh, it was just nuke and pave time. I just formatted the hard drive and started all over. Didn't even bother trying to uh recover it nuke and pave i wonder where you heard that one yeah from, i heard Mark. that from you that's right I, I, i've used it now I've, <laughs> it's now mine you 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 stole it from me as of this moment see um, <laughs> but uh you know it's uh it doesn't take long for somebody to own your machine if you uh uh let them all right seth what is your uh end user tip of the week well, my end user tip of the week is this will work from this is not so much a browser specific or OS specific. This is just like um, it's called, I'm sorry, open courseware. And if you've wanted to learn about something, whether it be history, computers, philosophy, you can go. Um, and a lot of colleges and even some high schools now will take courses that they have done and they will put them online for people to use. Now, if you go through this course, you're not necessarily going to get college credit, but you can listen to the lectures the professors gave. And it's just a great personal enrichment tool. I gave a uh, website, opencontent.org, where you can go in and select, like if I wanted to select history, I see that MIT has 38 courses in history one of which is, say, the ancient world, um, Greece, that they lecture they gave in the fall of 2004. So I could click on that, and I would have access to a course that MIT offered on the uh, ancient Grecian world. And so it's not so much computer-related or Linux-related, but it's just a great way you can use the Internet and actually learn something and not just waste time on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, MIT has really been leading the the charge on that and making uh, their goal, I think, is to make their entire courseware open um, at some point. Of course, that's a, a lot of stuff, and they're actively working through that, but uh, that's a big deal. And, and the iTunes U, uh, Stanford University, there's, there's a good education to be had out there uh, just on the Internet. Yeah, I am. That's the reason I was asking about iTunes U earlier. I am currently listening to... Um, and I know there's probably like just a few people who would find this interesting, but I'm listening to the history of Christian philosophy uh, through Reformed Theological Seminary. So I'm actually listening to the same lectures the students listen to. Now, granted, I don't have a degree in it, but it's just kind of cool to listen and pick up useless, trivial information, which is what I love. So, 
And I can vouch for that, folks. He does, in fact, love useless, trivial information. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else before we uh, uh, say goodbye? All right. Uh, I think we're, we're good. Then I will just tell you how you can find more information about the uh, four geeks here uh, in front of you. Uh, you can find us at our website at elementop.com. That's element. O-P-O-P-I-E dot com. You can email us, uh, give us your feedback at EDL for Everyday Linux at elementop.com. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash elementop slash Everyday Linux. That's a, a bit of a long URL, but trust me, you can handle it. And we'll have our uh, individual uh, feeds uh, linked to that, so you'll be able to find uh, all of our individual informations just from that one URL. Um, obviously, um, we are relatively new at this. This is our sixth episode and our uh, third episode with the new lineup. Uh, so uh, we need your feedback. We need to know uh, how should how we should pro- pro- progress in the future. We need to know uh, how you're do uh, how we're doing so far, and uh, and just uh, we covet your feedback. And if it's good, uh, and maybe even if it's just mediocre, we'll read it on our next podcast. So uh, that's how you can find out more about us. Again, elementop.com. Jump in the forums there and uh, share with other. Uh, Linux enthusiast or just uh, wannabe Linux enthusiast. That's the way I see uh, uh, the forums there as being really useful. Those guys like Chris who are uh, in the trenches with Linux and those guys like Aaron who are just uh, dabbling, uh, dipping their toe into Linux uh, can get together and educate one another. And I think that will be a pretty cool thing. And so if there are no other comments from the peanut gallery, I think I will just say this ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Awesome show. In honor of Sean, good show. He says great show. You just thought it was a good show, though? Yeah, it was a good show. <laughs> it was a good show.